We are getting close to the end of summer. We had a couple of weeks before we're going to start our series in Jonah. And so a couple of years ago, we did a Summer of Psalms series where we had a few weeks between sermon series, and we just took a few psalms and decided to preach on them. Also, as we like here at the Grace Works to take a book of the Bible and preach all the way through that, when we look at psalms, we say, wow, that's going to be a three-plus-year commitment. And uh, so we just haven't, you know, haven't felt the peace or the movement from God to push us into that particular book. But we sure love the opportunity just once in a while, dive into a few, some of our favorites. Uh, and today we're going to find ourselves in Psalm chapter 19. We're going to go through the entire uh, chapter, the whole song there of David. And we're going to see that God is revealed. And I think that that's one of the things here at the Grace Works that I really try to focus in on every week is, Holy Spirit, reveal to us yourself today. What are you trying to say to us through these passages that we're looking at? God's desire is for you to know him, to be revealed to you. He's constantly revealing himself uh, to you. God is period, right? I mean, my favorite name for God is one he gave himself, or that he gave uh, to Moses as the name for himself. It's I am. The nature and the character of the creator uh, are such that the created, you and I, must acknowledge his, his existence and his divinity, right? And, and those are things that we got to get to that point where we can acknowledge those things, he reveals himself, though, in a myriad of ways, uh, but two of them are really the most obvious and clear. One of them is his creation. You look around, you see God in the things that are created. Uh, I believe that creation points towards him. The second uh, thing that we see that we know that God reveals himself through is his word. Uh, so we have his creation and his word, and it demands a response. When you see these things, you have to make a decision as to who God is. Uh, whether you trust the things uh, in the word, in the Bible that talk about him, are you going to believe those things? Even if your heart, your own heart, your own brain, your logic is telling you something different. And through our proper response, then he can reveal himself not only to us, but to everything, everybody in the world around us. And, and through us, that's our goal, is as we get to know him better, we then can be used to reveal God to others. We can be that testimony. Um, so we see God revealing himself through creation, through his word, and really through the worshiper, right? The ones who have taken that revelation and responded to it. And that's what we're going to see today in Psalm 19. Um, Alistair Begg, the, the, the pastor and author, said it this way. The psalmist invites us to look upward, then to look downward, and finally to look inward. So, of course, the upward is the creation, downward to his word, and finally inward. Our response to what God has revealed to us. How are you and I going to respond. Uh, so again, like I said, we're going to be in Psalm 19. I'll have the, the passage up here on the, the overhead. Um, there's Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible, I'd want to invite you to go back there and grab one from our grab a Bible table. And that can be a gift from us to you. Uh, let that be a gift 
um, and you're welcome to take notes in there, put your name in there and that sort of thing. Uh, and then also there's some great Bible apps on your phone. So maybe you have one of those downloaded. I won't assume you're, you know, playing Candy Crush or checking the news or whatever. So I'll read out loud. You can read along with me uh, to yourself. And we'll start in verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. All I have to do is open up my eyes, right? And I can see the glory of God. Just look up and see it, right? The heavens declare it. The heavens declare it. Whether you're a daytime person and you just love the sun and, and you love the bright lights and, 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 and everything that it exposes, which we'll touch on a little bit later, or whether you're one of those people that loves to go camping, right? And in the middle of the night, maybe once the kids are asleep, you sneak out of your tent and you stand there under the expanse. Now, I've never made it to Alaska or further north, but I've heard there it's pretty incredible. Some of you have probably been there and seen the night skies. But they're declaring God. The heavens declare day to day, right? The blue sky, the brightness of the sun, the clouds, they're constantly declaring. Each verb in this section, David's song that he wrote, that he, that he, he wrote at this time to be sung, right, is a present tense ongoing, right? And so, again, I, I made it through school, but I don't fully understand it. But I know we have some teachers out there, and, and if you're an English teacher, you understand this. There's a present and ongoing tense that's given to these, these uh, specific verbs, right? It's not just a one-time thing. It, it, the, the, the earth, the skies, the creation didn't declare it once and then stop. It's continuing to, uh, as it goes on, just as the day pours out speech, the night really reveals the wonders or the knowledge of God, right, about God that can only be seen when the sun sets. You go out now and you look in the sky other than we have clouds, but I mean, if it was clear, you don't see all the stars, right? And yet once the sun goes down, God reveals more. It's beautiful. The night sky really shows that grandeur of space. Uh, if it wasn't for the nighttime, right, you and I might think that what we have here on this planet or this earth, maybe other than the sun, is all that there is. And, and we might think that we're a little bit bigger than we truly are. But once the, the moon and the stars are revealed, you and I really truly begin to see how big the creation really is. And, and that should lead us, and it does lead me to worship um, when we realize how big God is. He is a good God, powerful God, and a very creative God. Creation, it, it's not simply beautiful, though. It's not there just for us to enjoy and to look at, uh, but it, it, does, um, it, it does more because it reveals who God is. It allows us to learn things and then to be changed. Consider Romans 1. I, I, I want you to think about creation uh, the psalmist words that he penned that we've just read. But I'm going to invite you right now, because I'm going to read this, this, these few verses, four or five verses, to just close your eyes and, and listen to Paul who wrote this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against un, un, or all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them all, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. They were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's so important to see the creation for what it is created by God. Open up your eyes again with me. When we divorce God from his creation, we destroy our society. And Paul saw that in that day and age, 2,000 years ago, the image of a bird being worshipped or the image of the sun being worshipped or uh, attributes of God being attributed to creation instead of a tool that points us towards God. Sin and and immorality is a natural result of worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Because we start to think that these things are, are, are maybe more important than God or equal to God and that they're here for our pleasure only. And yet they're not. They're here to speak about the creator. You only have to look around at your culture really to see that. Verse 3 and 4, it goes on there and it says, There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Uh, I I hope you enjoy the poetry in these verses as much as I do. And in high school, I toyed with a little bit of poetry and and, and wrote a few things. And I actually came across a notebook uh, a, a couple days ago well hidden in a, book, uh, uh, in a box of books where I had written some stuff. And, and it seemed kind of foolish, but it, it's, it's fun to write things in a beautiful way. And, and here we see David doing that. He's talking about God, and he's, he's talking about creation pointing us towards God. And, he, and he's talking about how it speaks out to everybody, and he does it in just such a beautiful way. This revelation of God through creation, which really is, is this paradox King David is expressing it, uh, but really there are no words for that, and, and yet he tries. The testimony of nature is writing volumes all the time, and there's no stopping it, right? They're, they're words to the end of the world. As long as this world goes on, nature will continue to write words or sing praise or point us towards our creator God. Amen. This is good. Worship the creator, not the created. Picking up there at the end of verse 4, it says, In them he has set a a tent for the sun. Now David's writing, he he writes these songs. He he, he wants you to have these images in your mind, right? So he goes on in verse uh, uh, verse 5, and it says, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit 
to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. And so here we see David continuing on to, to try to use these visual pictures to express something. And, and, he, and he shows us two metaphors here, the sunrise, the, the way the sun rises and comes out in the morning and then sets in the evening. He, he first talks about a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Uh, and, and as we read this week, and we were looking at commentaries, and, 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 and there was a little bit of debate as to what this means. But, you know, I think either, either one of them is beautiful. The first one could be a, a groom on his wedding day, and, and he, maybe he's waiting for his brothers or his best men, his friends. They're outside the home or wherever he's getting ready, and he's, he is getting himself ready to go to the ceremony, right? I mean, that's a beautiful picture. Right? As the bridegroom is getting himself ready, he's leaving his chamber. The second thought, though, uh, it, it could be the groom right after the consummation of the marriage, leaving the bridal chambers and the excitement and the joy that he would have, and this just explosion of life and, and goodness from God. And either way, uh, it's an expectant, enthusiastic, it's a powerful image of the sunrise, right? The second one, if you didn't care for the bridegroom uh, example there, he says a strong man, right? Running his course with joy. I don't know how many runners we have out there. We have some runners out there. Maybe anybody willing to lift their hand. We got a couple. Not bad. We got a few. Uh, my wife gets up and runs probably four or five mornings a week, but she would say she's still not a runner, but she's a runner, right? And this here, we're picturing a powerful athlete in his starting blocks, Right? Because some of you get out there and run because you know it's just good for your health, I'm going to use somebody that actually runs because they want to. Okay, so Cole this year, my, my 15-year-old, he was a freshman, and he ran track and field, and he loved it, and he was pretty good in it. And, and he was uh, a strong man running his course with joy. When he got out there to race, he wanted to do his best, not only because he's a driven young man and, and for the pride of his school, but, but because Cole has placed his faith in Jesus Christ, he wants to do everything as unto the Lord. And, and so when I read this this week, my, my, the picture was him getting in the blocks for that evil race they call the 400. I don't know how many of you guys uh, ran track or no track and field, but the 100 and the 200, that's for the, the real fast women and men, right? They're the, the quickest ones, right? And then you get to these longer races, the 800 or the 1600, you're starting to get into distance, Right, And those are the guys that can, that can just keep it up, running a mile or maybe even 3,200, the two-mile. But then there's this crazy race in the middle there, this 400. It's too long to be a sprint, and it's too short to be distance. And it, so it kind of takes a special person to run that. And, and this year at least, not that his body might change before next season, but this year that was Cole's race, and he loved that race. And he would get down in the blocks, and then he would run. And, and, and we got to see him progress through the season, breaking school records for freshmen and breaking, uh, you know, records that will now stand, hopefully, for some time at Stilcom High School and his ranking going up in the state and those sorts of things. But he just, he wanted to get out there and run, and he was full of joy, even though the rest of us might look at that race and go, wow, that is just crazy, right? But he wanted it to explode off that line with precision and speed and strength, right? And that's what God's saying about the sun, right? Without the sun, all life would cease. Without the one who created the sun and sustains the sun and causes it to rise and causes it to set, all life would not exist, right? It would not continue. We need the sun. 
The correct response to the son is praise and, and adoration and, and then a submission to the creator, right? The creator God, right? We get to see the son perfectly set in distance from us, right? We've all heard the stories and the statistics. If we were too much closer, we'd be burned up. If we were too far away, we would, we would freeze. We're exactly where we need to be. And if that doesn't point you towards the praise of a creator God, I don't know what will. We choose to, to, to worship sometimes, though, uh, other things and not God. We, sometimes we would choose to, uh, as humanity, I'm saying not necessarily you here at the Grace Works, but we might choose to worship Mother Nature, right, instead of the source of nature. We might choose to worship science rather than the author of science. We might choose to worship knowledge and how much knowledge I can gain rather than he who is knowledge. And we choose to worship ourselves, through our actions, sometimes we choose to worship ourselves instead of our maker. We've all, all, we've seen the data and yet we reach the wrong conclusion in our sinful nature sometimes, right? And as our, our mind sees creation and, and reads in his word and grows in understanding, we still sometimes are derailed by self. So God in his good mercy Revealed himself not only through creation, but through the actual words that we have, which is precisely where King David goes next. Picking up here in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. First of all, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's, it's not simply perfect apart from God, but it's perfect because it describes God. When we open up the Bible, that is God's word uh, that is there so that we can understand him better. So that our eyes can be cleared of all the, the garbage of this world, the garbage of our own minds, and we can see God for who he truly is. The law of the Lord is perfect. And when, when David writes the law of the Lord, he's talking about the revealed word of God that he would have had at that time. And they, they referred to that as the law, the initial books of the Bible. God's word is a source of knowledge to those who know him. It's a source of, for us to see his perfection. And if we keep it perfectly, we would, we would truly have revived souls, right? That's what's going to happen to us if we are able to grow in that and, and reach on that and lean on that and trust that over everything else. We're going to trust God's word even when it doesn't feel true to us. Next, he says his testimony is sure. We can count on it. We can trust it. That's kind of what I was just talking about there. When society tries to convince us otherwise, we can believe in the counsel of God's word. How he created us, who we were meant to be, and how we can find true peace in this life is by going back to God's word, believing the truths that are written. It is sure 
And when I go to it and live by it, then I can truly be, what does David say there? He says wise, right? You want to be a wise person? Spend some time in God's word. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and say you got to be in God's word and God's word only. Continuing education doesn't, you know, make any sense. It doesn't, your school's no good. No, 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 those are all good things. But how do we go and spend hours and hours and hours trying to learn other things when we don't spend time with our creator, God? Start our day with him. End our day with him. Go to him throughout the day. Test everything that this world tries to throw at you against God's word. And then you'll know truth. Then you'll become wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. To, to, say, uh, that, that, to say that takes a true understanding of God. Right? For David to say that, to pen that, he has to understand that, right? After all, uh, how many hear a rule, right, and then our hearts instantly rejoice? No, we need to grow in that. We need to understand who God is, and we need to know that he's asking us to do these things because then we will fully understand him. We will better understand who God is, right? So when we say when you come to Christ and you accept him, there are steps in the path of discipleship, there are things we need to do. We need to grow and become more like Jesus. There are going to be some do's and don'ts along the way. Again, they don't affect the salvation, but they affect who are you are becoming. Right? Do you want to become more like Christ? Well, if so, there are things in God's word that you need to read and then you need to do. Right? And, and instead of just seeing it as a rule and something to rebel against, like our old nature would say, we want to embrace it because it's the words of our creator God, the one who loves us so much. And we can grow and we can become more like him, right? So we understand who God is, so who we are truly meant to be. That's what we find in scripture. And truly believe that his precepts are the best way to live, that his law, that his rules, that his commands of us are for our good. Even if they go against what I want to do, even if they go against what society may say is okay, that if I live in the law of the Lord, it's because he wants me to become wise. He wants me to rely on him, to lean on him, to love him, to know who he is. God's word is pure, enlightening the eyes. We, we, truly cannot see without God's revealed word. We can't fully understand it, is what he's saying. It's pure, enlightening the eyes, right? It, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to complete as much as we can in this earthly body that we're in, in this brain that we have. It's going to complete that understanding of God, who he is, what he has done, and what he wants for us. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. When you truly fear the Lord, we can live clean lives that bear fruit for eternity. And isn't that why we're here to, to, to be one? Like in John, it talks about we want to become those disciples who are bearing fruit. Right? The vineyard. Right? And, and he uses the example of, of, of grapes and, and the wine. And we want to become that branch that bears much fruit. And not just be grafted in and be part of the vine, but we want to be a useful part of that. 
And that is the, the spiritual feeling of, of living, right, in the fear of the Lord. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The proper response to God's written word should be joy, enlightenment, peace, and, and sheer jubilation. It, it's good to know what the Lord requires of us, right? It is good. Micah 6.8 kind of sums it up a little bit. You, 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 what the Lord requires of you, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And you say, well, okay, those are great things. They seem easy enough, but how do I do that? And then I'm going to hand you the rest of the book, right? You got 66 other books to read. That's going to tell you how to do it. That's going to tell you how to do it. Sadly, uh, you know, we, we, we have seen even these past couple of weeks... Those who have claimed to be Christians uh, or that were uh, Christians that have begun to doubt the word of God and they're expressing that, right? And, and we hear a message from our culture that if this doesn't feel right or if it goes against something that you truly believe, it must not be right. And yet we here at the Grace Works, we want to stand on the word of God. We believe in the truths of Scripture, that's where we're going to go to find out what God has said, what he has commanded, what his views are on things. We're not going to go to the world and what's just being accepted now. Well, you know, 50 years ago, that might not have been, you know, something you could do, but now you can do it. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. We're going to say no. We are going to, we are going to stand on God's word. Because it is the same yesterday, it's the same today, and it will be the same forever. God's word. It changes who we are. God has revealed himself through his written word. It's our responsibility and our joy to bathe ourselves in it, right? To live in it. To allow his word to be the very source of everything in our lives. Again, that's why I think it's so important in the morning when you get up, it needs to be the first thing. And I'm not going to beat you over the head with my Bible and say you've got to spend a half hour in God's word. But maybe you take the challenge of writing out one verse and taping it up to your mirror right there while you're brushing your teeth. You can read God's word and challenge yourself. Let me be changed by this, this truth. This week I want to be different than I was last week. I want to be a little bit more like Jesus. And you can do that through the power of the word, the source of truth and the source of light. Verse 10 goes on, it says, more to be desired are they than gold, even and much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. This is the word of God to the believer, right? Where do you find your pleasure? Where do you find your fulfillment? Where do you find your happiness? Can you truly say that you find it in the word of God. Again, that's a question to ask yourself. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Doesn't mean you're not walking with God. But there is areas in all of our lives where we can grow. And what David is saying here today is, this should be more important to you than gold, than all the golds you can get. Doesn't mean you don't plan for your future. Doesn't mean you don't take a promotion. Doesn't mean you don't, you know, whatever it might be. I'm not saying those things, but it should be desired more than gold, right? I think I'm okay with that one, but are, are you more like me in the second one? 
Uh, you know, because I'm tempted to find a lot of value in relationships, okay? Uh, you know, for me. Or, or, or the way that, that, that where David goes next is like food and drink and entertainment and, and hanging out with people and enjoying that, right? Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I like sugary things. I like treats. Uh, Summer of Fun reflects that. I love to get together with my friends and talk and enjoy those things. And yet, do I desire God's word? This is a challenge to all of us, no matter what it might be, whether it is relationships, possessions, food, drink, entertainment, whatever it might be. Let's pray that we each individually and, and that we would corporately as a church body here, would develop the kind of love of God's word that King David had. Can we grow in our love for Scripture? Can we desire it more than we desire anything else in this world? And if I'm honest with myself, does my day-to-day life reflect that? I would have to answer you no. I love God's word. I love to read. I love to study but there are some days where it's not the first thing on my mind or, or it may not, you know, I may not even think about it until the afternoon or whatever. And, and yet I've, I've fed myself at least once by then, if not twice, you know. I've done things. I've gone after things. I've, I've pursued things. And again, I'm not telling you you have to study God's word in the morning and not at night. No, you, you find your time. God knows your heart. Again, he's not keeping, you know, a checklist of how many verses you read. But I want you to be a people who desire God's word, who can't get enough of it. Whether you're listening to it in your car as you're driving because you want to hear God's word, or you go to sleep at night with it on in the background, or whatever it might be, are you a person that desires God's word because you truly believe that it can change your life like David did here? Let's also pray that we respond to the revelation that God has given us in his word and in creation like David did. Moving into verse 11, uh, we're going to see kind of this idea of God revealing himself through the worshiper. We've seen the creation. We've seen the word. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. By them, by, by the words of God, we are warned, right? Not by what the culture says is right or wrong. Not by what our feelings says are right or wrong at this moment. But by God, what God says is right and is wrong and has never changed. We are warned because great harm will come to us by living a life of continued sin. Now hear me, you're not going to lose your salvation. You place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are eternally secured. But there is damage that can come to your life by saying, I'm going to continue on in sin. I'm not going to listen to God's word. I'm not going to be changed. But we are also rewarded, David says, by keeping the laws of the Lord. So there are two sides to the coin. The problem is a lot of times each one of us is just too easy on ourselves. We know all the the reasons, the excuses, the motivations for what we are doing. So sometimes we find ourselves even trying to excuse away our sin. And David admits that openly, right? He says, who can discern his 
errors, right? I, I, if I'm left to my own device, if I'm left to just my brain, even if I know something's kind of wrong, maybe I'll figure out a reason why it can be okay in this situation, right? Because the answer that he expects here, it's, it's the rhetorical question, right? No one can discern his own errors. No one can, can figure that out in a vacuum on his own, right? Because they're going to be selfish. They're going to want to take care of only their needs. And that's why we do truly need God's word. Accountability groups who love God's word. We need mentors in our lives who love God's word. We need people in our lives who place the value of the Bible, God's word, over everything else. Praise God, we also have his Holy Spirit to convict us as well. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, we believe the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he is there, he is your helper, he is the counselor, and he is there for you to interact with. Um, But it says that he has a a still, small voice, right? And, and, And we have to listen. We have to say, okay, I'm going I'm to be quiet before you, God. Speak to me. Holy Spirit, take these things that I've just read and, and cause me to, to think on them today. Allow me to be changed by them. Because I can be loud. I can be loud from the moment I wake up to the moment I crawl in bed. Right? And I'm not just talking about what's coming out of my mouth, but my life is loud. I'm doing a lot of things. And I'm not even going to argue that those things are bad. I'm tired of saying I'm busy and feeling bad for that. Because I'm choosing to live in the moment. I'm choosing to use all the energy that God has given me. And I'm going to keep myself going. And I'm going to be involved in things. Right? And I'm going to be present in that moment. But am I so loud that I'm not listening? Have I, have I, have I taken slots of time throughout the day to be quiet before the Lord? Because the self-analyzation that you and I need is smack dab in the face of God's word. doesn't matter what your friends are saying. It doesn't matter what your family is saying. It doesn't matter what the world is saying. It matters what God's saying to you, right? So that's what we need. We need time in God's word. David desperately cries out to God for help. Declare me innocent from my hidden faults, right? Those things that are hidden from everyone and and hidden even from myself. I don't even know that this could come to the surface. I don't want to sin. I don't want sin to be in control of my life. I don't want to trip myself up. And then he goes on. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Presumptuous sins. What does David mean about this? What, what, what is he saying? Well, Spurgeon had, uh, he was a great theologian and preacher. He wrote this. But oh, how much greater is the sin when man not only has the light of conscience, but also the uh, admonition of friends, the advice of those who are wise and esteemed by him, if I have but one check, the check of my enlightened conscience, and I transgress against it, I am presumptuous. But if a mother with a tearful eye warns me of the conscience of my guilt, and if a father with a steady look and with affectionate, determined earnestness tells me 
what will be the effect of my transgression. If friends who are dear to me counsel me to avoid the way of the wicked and warn me what must be the inevitable result of continuing in it, then I am presumptuous. And my act in that very proportion becomes more guilty. I have, or I should have been presumptuous for having sinned against the light of nature, but I am more presumptuous when added to that I have the light of affectionate counsel and of kind advice. And therein I bring upon my head a double amount of divine wrath. Many Christians foolishly think I might be a sinner, but I'm not as bad as some. Right? And if you're getting that advice from those around you, you need to re-examine who you have speaking into your life. Right? In fact, the Christian may be the most, in the most danger of committing these presumptuous sins against our perfect Savior because uh, so often we try to get those around us to be understanding to our own plight instead of to the truths of God's Scripture. We find ourselves as Christians knowing better, and yet we do it anyways. We, we know what Scripture says, and then we just choose to ignore it. We have maybe friends or pastors or family members who have warned us, like that quote from Spurgeon, and yet we decide that we know better. One of the things that makes me the saddest is as a, as a pastor when I'm counseling somebody and I hear these words, I think God just wants me to be happy. No, it's so much greater than that. God wants you to be holy. God wants us to find our happiness in him, not in the fleeting things of this world. That holiness that can only come through the relationship with him. David says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. This is the goal. This is the true north for the believer. This should be my innermost desire, right? This is truly the only appropriate response to the creator. David ends his song. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm going to read that one more time. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, that, brothers and sisters, is a, is a prayer worth praying, right? If you remember one thing this week, uh, remember Psalm 19 and, and open it up and, and, and just go to that last verse, and pray that throughout this week. Let's start at the end of this. He says, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God the Father is truly the only secure rock. We've talked about that many times uh, over the years that we've been here. God is the anchor. God is firm. He is sure. He doesn't change. Right? And David's acknowledging that. Right? God the Father is that secure rock. Christ is described as our, corners, our cornerstone. Right? We built this church. Not this particular one, but the church. We built Christianity. We built the idea of, of a God who sent his son to this earth on Jesus Christ because he's the one who came. He's the, the cornerstone. He's our foundation. The most significant piece 
uh, especially in this day and age, when they built their homes, was that cornerstone, that starting place. It needed to be solid. It needed to be big. It needed to be flat. It needed to be good because the rest of everything else was built off of that. And we have that security in Christ Jesus because he has indeed redeemed us. He is the redeemer. When we say that, you got to remember, redeem means to buy back. You and I uh, were lost in our sin. We were dead without hope of life. We were wandering around as dead people, right? But Jesus Christ paid the price. He paid the debt that we could not pay by dying the death that I deserved. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, for me. He paid the price. And by belief in Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he loves you, that he came to this earth to redeem you, to buy you back, to give you an opportunity to have a right relationship between you, the rebellious man, and creator God who is perfect and holy, right? He's redeemed us by the blood of Jesus as he hung on the cross. Because of this security and salvation, my, my very identity and purpose change. We are called to be changed people. Our identity is changed. Our purpose is changed. And I can, like David, say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. If I was not redeemed by Jesus Christ, my heart would not desire for that change. Does that make sense? The motivation of this prayer is gratitude for our salvation. Purpose in my secure foundation. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And pure love for the God who loved me. Pray with me. Father God, we just come before you today and we thank you for Psalm 19. We thank you for the truths in this passage. We thank you that we can be changed because of who Jesus Christ is and who he is in our lives we thank you for this morning and an opportunity to look into your word. Help us to look to creation and to your word to become the women and men that you have called us to be. Help me to focus on the cross this week like I never have before. Help every interaction I have with people, whether it's family or, or friends or neighbors, to be focused in on you. Help the gospel message not only change my life, but be something that I'm willing to share so that other lives can be changed. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.